Scooby and Shaggy are beamed up by Blue Falcon. Yes, we're introduced to tertiary Hanna-Barbera characters having nothing to do with Scooby-Doo at all. And these characters distract, I think, from the core characters that the movie starts to be about. Let's face it, Wysos, distract, they fucking suck. They're awful. They shouldn't be in this movie at all. No, I want a Scooby-Doo movie. The movie is called Scoob, not Hanna-Barbera All-Stars. Yeah. Why does every single movie, why, Warner Brothers thinks automatically now, I think every movie studio thinks now, that kids won't watch a movie or the movie won't hold the kids' attention unless you put capes in it. Not every movie needs to be a superhero movie. The Epic Film Guys Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. Hashtag Canon Quarantine rolls on with Lucinda Dickey in workout leotards doing a lot of different exercising. And then ninja stuff happens. And then, I mean, guys, we're doing... Hijinks and Sue. There you go. Hijinks and Sue. Thank you very much, Saucy. Swords, neon, arcade games, spandex, headbands. Now you're going to die. Yeah. Leg warmers. V8. I mean, for real. And why? Uh, I don't think we'll be able to answer that. That's all to in come. In this episode, but... <laughs> yeah. We'll try. We'll try. Everything that you'd ever want in a movie, for the most part, is in... Ninja 3, The Domination. Yeah, it is It is absolutely packed. So welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Epic Film Guys podcast. I, of course, am Nick. And I am Justin. And he said that he sucked the blood from the penis. This early? The really? In his mouth. Wow. I mean, yeah. He, he said it. I didn't say it. He did say it. <laughs> but of course, you know, I have to say one thing I'm very thankful about, Nick, during this hashtag canon quarantine, during Besides us being set home is that we haven't really missed much time with the sauce. The sauce is kind of, you know, he, he doesn't have an excuse to not show up. You know so why? The God People of podcasting. The sauce. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, you've been gracing our presence pretty much every single week. Minus a few, you know, mishaps where, you know, you know, you fucked up and you admitted it that, you know, I was right and you were wrong and you should have come on, but do we ever admit when Justin's right? Even if he is, do we ever do we ever even want to dare inflate his ego any further than it already is? Listen, Sauce, it's a fucking hippo. Get over it. I'm right, you're wrong, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if you go over to the Hopester's Dumpster, I posted a screenshot of what the creature in King Solomon's Minds looks like. Ain't no way that's a hippo. The best thing is, is everybody's posting a different thing because to everybody else, it just looks like some other piece of garbage. I mean, it looks like... I see horns and snake eyes. Ain't no way that's a hippo. I see hippo ears, and I'm a hippo (laughs) expert, so it looks like a a failed attempt at like a papier-mâché piece of shit hippo. 
Like Nick yeah, said, whatever it's something it is, that, it started melting when they put it in the water immediately. It's a failed attempt at something. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> I guess Who we can knows? all agree on that. No, I mean, none of us have read the book. So if you read the book, does it explain that in the book, what it's no. supposed to be? Um, the, those movie, are, the movie bears very <laughs> little resemblance. Yeah, are we really movie. caring about how faithfully King Solomon's Minds was adapted? This is last week's um, show, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard our breakdown of what is one of the most bafflingly misogynistic films ever put out in the Hollywood system. Uh, head back last week and, and check out King Solomon's Minds. But that is not what we're talking about this week. Again, this week we are talking about Ninja 3, the domination. We're going to get there a little bit later. The Sauce and Justin also had the opportunity to watch a new adaptation, we'll say, an origin story for a beloved Hanna-Barbera, Hanna-Barbera, Hanna-Barbarian, whatever children's cartoon <laughs> Hannah the barbarian in uh, you know the brand new scoob <laughs> and uh, i'm eager 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 to hear them talk about that as well but before we get any further gentlemen fourth annual live stream for the cure we're going to be aiming for ten thousand dollars for the cancer research institute for a future immune to cancer and let me spin this promo for you so you can learn a little bit of what it's all about I'm Nick. I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. We are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual live stream for The Cure is only a couple weeks away. Every single dollar raised goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, donations will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com to make an early donation and to learn more about the event. Together, we can make a difference. We are going to be joined by just so many amazing content creators from literally around the globe. So many people are putting in a lot of hard work to make this thing happen and we are actually going to be featured on the local news up here. We I received word from from a guy at the local news station today, which is kind of crazy and really, really hoping that that's going to help expand the scope of the event and really help kind of put a dent in that $10,000 goal because it's an ambitious goal. We're, we're going way higher, even though we made about 8000 last year when all was said and done in last year's event. You know, I, I really want to make sure that we're going to get there this year. Uh, that's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, myself and Director Brennick and Gerald from 2Ps, we're all going to be running the event here on site. And uh, I want to do a huge shout out right now really quick to Carnivore Candy, which is basically a, like a spicy beef jerky company. They make a whole bunch of different types of beef jerkies and like bacon that you can buy and whatnot. And uh, I found it, I thought, because Justin Winters, Shock Top himself, he sent me that one chip challenge. Last. You remember that, Justin? He sent me that one chip thing yeah to eat and you know ever since last year like last year to this year because of my diet and everything and you know when you are losing weight you kind of gravitate toward a lot of spicy things because there's no calories in it you know you're not eating stuff with sugar in it or anything like that so you're trying to find dipping sauces and and, and you know things that you can put on top of things you know, like you put the sauce on top of things and sorry but yeah, so my spice palette, like I've I've fallen in love with spice. So uh, I actually ordered a whole bunch of it. I already got it here at the house, along with a lot of other prizes for live stream for the cure. All the full list of those is going to be over on the event page on Facebook. I'll probably post some of them over on Twitter as well. But we've got hot sauce. We've got 
a cinephile card game. We've got some fancy coffees. We've got a whole bunch of different uh, different funny, funny little things. But Carnivore Candy reached out and uh, Jade, who's one of the people, the head people there, she actually reached out. and She said she's going to send me a whole bunch of it to to try live That's on awesome. the live on the stream which is absolutely amazing she actually already already contacted me and let me know that it ship out so and let me know that it shipped out so it's going to be really really amazing so we we're going to have just five flavors including one that's made with carolina reaper and apparently they're sending me one that's supposed to be even hotter than that one dude yeah i'm extremely jealous that i won't be making my way up there to be doing the live stream for the cure in-house with you i love that name uh, those that have listened to the show for a long time know that I do a primarily carnivore diet. So carnivore candy sounds exactly like the shit Ooh, I be eating yeah. every day. Anyways, it sounds well, let me delicious. tell you too, because when I ordered all this, all this jerky, I got two bags of one of their flavors, which is uh, mango habanero. And it's perfect. It's literally some of the best jerky you'll ever eat. It's soft. It's tender. The flavor is so rich. And it's spicy like it, it's it's habanero obviously but it's not like overwhelmingly like it's it, you, you get the flavor first like you really savor the flavor and then you get into the burn they're not paying me to say this they are sending a whole bunch of free stuff to us but that's beside the point but it is amazing so check them out carnivore candy i found it on amazon and i was just all i wanted was just something spicy and i was like what is this spicy jerky i was like because i know they sell like those really hot peanuts and stuff and i'm like i don't want to eat nuts like anything like that. are you that. sure you don't I mean, you're on the I'm, Epic Film Guys podcast. Are you sure you don't want to eat dicks, not nuts? Eat nuts. Okay. <laughs> so you prefer the top to the bottom. All right. I got you. Every night. <laughs> God damn it, Paul. But uh, yeah, so a huge shout out to Carnivore Candy. Huge shout out to WBNG. It's been absolutely amazing. Huge shout out also to Destruction in Human Form, Jared Taylor. Back atop his throne. I think he missed it up there. Back in the executive level executive producer level over on patreon top level patron thank you so so much jared for that and welcome also to new patron andrew falder andrew falder he's a member of film club down there i guess he's, he's he told me that he goes to the alamo a lot down there so he knows the both of you and you know he didn't realize that we had a show so he's been tuning into the canon series and he fucking loves it oh god so Thank you. Hashtag. That's Canon amazing, Quarantine. dude. Thank you so Welcome. much for tuning in. We really, really, really appreciate it. And uh, again, so if, if you guys didn't notice, I'm sure you did because your podcatchers blew up over the weekend. I released pre-roll from the past like three weeks all over on our main feed. And we right now, if you're listening to this, this coming weekend on Sunday, a Braveheart anniversary retrospective, 25 years of Braveheart that I did with Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews. Absolutely amazing guy. Uh, please, please check that out. I suck the dick every night. That guy. And then Brad from the Cinema Guys, you already heard me and him talk about Kingdom from Heaven. Well, we talked about Battlefield Earth. Oh, God. Condolences. You did it. You did it. Nick, you went to the deepest, darkest place <sighs> where movies live. The worst... <laughs> Worst movie of the decade award winner at the Razzies. So, I mean, is it really the worst movie of the decade? Probably, maybe. <laughs> You'll have to tune in and and listen. It's a we had an amazing discussion about it, and we tried not to just endlessly just shellack it because I know that's just what it has what's happened to it over the last twenty years. 
But I think we had a really, really fun discussion. So make sure you stay tuned to check that out. And then next week during the live stream for The Cure, we're still going to release a normal episode, a very, very, very special episode in our hashtag Canon Quarantine series. You guys will not want to miss it. So the event doesn't start until 10 a.m. So you, the episode goes live at 6.15 a.m. So you got plenty of time. I don't care if you're on the West Coast, Justin Winters, you get your ass up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you download the episode i don't know i'm done talking now so thank you i mean it's been a crazy day for live stream for the cure i've been running around like insane i've also been running like insane i did five miles today i did four plus yesterday been wow. really crazy my stride is really getting good though i'm at 72 ish miles right now nine days to go and i've got almost 30 miles to go so I'm really going to have to punch him in there, like get about four miles per day to make sure that I hit my 100 mile goal before the live stream for the cure. But gentlemen, I yield the floor. I'm getting out of your way. I'm running away before the sauce stabs me. Bitches can't get enough of my stuff. They can't get enough of his stuff. Uh, please, please tell us all about Scoob. The pre-review sigh. If you guys are be Twitter okay? friends with Loisos, follow him on Twitter if you don't, because he's at go, go Loisos Go. And if if you don't follow Loisos, he live tweeted his experience watching Scoob. And I texted Justin and I told him I was really concerned. <laughs> At one point, I was told that I might need to break quarantine to drive over there just to make sure you were okay. Yeah. Yeah. To give you a hug, even if you guys were like, I don't know, wrapped in body shields or something. I will, I will, I will preface this. I'll, I'll say it for you. You are the resident Scooby Doo expert slash hardcore fan on this Scoob-spert? podcast. No. Yeah. Scoobspert. No, no. Yeah. That's fine. Nope. He's the resident Velma. Okay. Jinkies, you came up with a new thing. Hey. Wait a minute. Come on. That was perfect. And I'm I'm totally dropping the ball here. Totally drop. <laughs> that's that's very appropriate for a Scooby Doo discussion as well. <laughs> Jump right in, Loisos, like you're about to go solve a mystery. So anyone who has listened to the podcast for any length of time knows that I've been a Scooby-Doo fan since childhood, as Justin put it. I, so uh, last I, wouldn't, year. Say, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. Um, I would say that I've watched and enjoyed most of the iterations of Scooby-Doo to varying degrees. The initial trailers for Scoob did not inspire much confidence in me, but um, you know, I still forked over $25 to purchase the film on digital platforms when it dropped last Friday because... I incorrectly assumed that the trailer simply contained the very worst parts of the movie. <laughs> During the first maybe 10 or 15 minutes or so, I had a slight smile on my face um, as I soaked in the nostalgic feeling of you know, settling down with familiar characters and having a few chuckles here and there. As the film went on, however, I felt the smile on my face fall and fall and fall until it formed a a distinct frown. And after a while, I felt sick to my stomach watching this movie. 
words cannot even begin to describe how much I loathed this movie, how much I loathe everything it stands for, how much I loathe the fact that I spent 25 of my hard-earned dollars, which I feel I now feel partially responsible for it being a part of encouraging Warner Brothers to make more of these. If that ever happens, I, I hope to God it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I want this review to be more fun, but I, I, I'm just trying to convey my massive, massive disappointment with this movie. And it may sound pathetic, me complaining so much about how saddened I am by a Scooby-Doo movie, um, but this had potential. This had the potential to be something great. I am not naive. I am, uh, I'm not kidding myself. I've seen plenty of awful Scooby-Doo in my time. But I've also seen some great Scooby-Doo. On Netflix, even, there's a great selection of shows. What's New Scooby-Doo, which is kind of what I grew up with, um, along with the original uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which is like a serial that delves into like some Lovecraftian, Lynchian themes. And of course, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, which is the greatest film to ever be made, ever. So this had the potential to be as good, if not better than any of those, and it failed miserably. And we'll get into why, but Justin, <laughs> you also paid a large sum to watch this movie at home. I didn't pay $25. I paid 20 Okay. To I, not I, own it, to watch it in Dolby, 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 Dolby. Oh, vision, God, vision, here we go. Vision, vision, vision. I mean, it came that way. Listen, if they're going to offer it to me for $19.99, for this, you know, I could watch it in 1080p or I can watch it for $19.99 in Dolby Vision. Which would you pick? Okay. So, yes. Your thoughts on the film, please. I watched the movie. (laughs) Okay. I watched the movie. His thoughts on the film. Dolby Vision. (laughs) I mean, that was one of the more. I don't know, things about the movie that caught my eye because it looked kind of cool with all the bright colors, even though the animation looked like the worst of the worst of like the Disney Channel straight to TV series that they do. Um, You know, I grew up watching Scooby-Doo. I was watching Scooby-Doo before you were even born. It's something that was a huge part of my childhood. My grandparents in Vestal, New York, when I would visit them on weekends, uh, Cartoon Network back then was kind of a new thing, and they would show tons of old uh, Warner Brothers cartoons and Hanna-Barbera cartoons. So I'm sitting there, I'm watching, you know, Yogi Bear, I'm watching Scooby-Doo. But Scooby-Doo, for me, mostly was Saturday morning cartoons. Like, they played it every single Saturday. And for me, I was explaining this to my wife when we were watching it. She apparently didn't grow up the same way. I said, I wouldn't love horror and spooky stuff if it wasn't for Scooby-Doo. I was watching that way before I watched my first horror movie, um, you know, before I understood what the, the you know, the ho- holiday of Halloween meant to me. That was all in Scooby-Doo, and that kind of opened up the path, if you will, uh, for things later on in life. And I love that gang of characters. I mean, it, it's one of the most enjoyable, most inventive, and entertaining shows ever. When you look back to that era, I think it's probably the best thing that Hanna-Barbera did, if you, I mean, most people would say the Flintstones, but whatever, they're probably wrong. But this movie, I had zero expectations for it. I would humor the trailers for you, Loisos, because you're my boy. And I knew that 
it was going to be something I was going to watch. You were going to watch it. So I was kind of as open-minded to this thing as I possibly could be. And within the first five minutes of this thing, I had a really sinking feeling. I'm like, okay, all right. This might not be my Scooby-Doo, but I'll give it a shot. And the movie opens with a sequence of how Shaggy meets Scooby, which is, you know, very heartwarming to me. And I thought, okay. It's uh, charming. It's it's completely yeah. ripped off of the same scenario from Annie when the cop is chasing after the dog. And then he asks Shaggy, is this your dog? And what's his name? And he has to think of a name on the top, off the top of his head. It's the same scene from Annie, but whatever. It, it, it was a very cute way that, to show the origins of their friendship. I mean, the five-year-olds this is targeted towards aren't going to remember that because that I Annie know, remake, remember the, that? That my, never happened? No one saw it. So My point um, in bringing that up is that this movie doesn't offer anything new or original. But Well, of course not. I mean, but from there, I really liked the way that all of our core characters meet. And it gives us a taste of classic you know, in a way, in a new modern way, Scooby-Doo, they meet on the street. It's Halloween of all things. I'm like, okay, this movie's going in the right direction. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this. They meet Shaggy's bag of candy gets tossed into what looks like to be a haunted house. And they have to go in to retrieve it. Uh, and they meet Fred, Daphne and Velma, and they go in together and very quickly, but surely very, very quickly. You're like, okay, that's like a very quick mini episode of Scooby-Doo. And then the opening credits evoke the original show down to being a straight up homage and redoing scenes of the original Scooby-Doo. Where are you? It's the intro. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, almost shot for shot. And I'm like, okay, you got me. And then five minutes later. I realized instantly as soon as that ends, that's where the movie starts to nosedive. Um, So, you know, we have two scenes essentially setting up these core characters. I still find that initial meeting of mystery Inc. Very, very rushed. They meet and unmask their first villain all in the same night, which is whatever. It's fine. I just thought it was very, very rushed um, as is the rest of the movie. But as soon as that ends, as soon as the, redo of the cartoon intro ends we flash forward to mystery inc sitting around a table with simon cowell why the fuck sitting at the table how is that even how is that even a thing how how is he even relevant well to this he's not but i mean i could kind of give that a pass because scooby-doo has always been as well, I've they've said, always brought in random characters of you know from other pop cultures. Celebrities, yeah. shamelessly yeah. trotted in celebrity guests for no reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of the move. The least of the movie's problems, the fact that Simon Cowell is there. But Simon Cowell's function um, is, I guess, he's looking to fund them. He's looking to fund Mystery Inc. to have them become a more legitimate detective agency or whatever. And basically, he breaks them up by saying, you know, D- Daphne. Velma and Fred, you all have something good going on, but Scooby and Shaggy uh, have nothing to offer the group, basically. We're just told this. We never see it, at least in the live action films when Mystery Inc. breaks up and Scooby and Shaggy feel responsible for that. It happens kind of organically. Um, whereas this, like you have to write Simon Cowell into the movie to, to, to break up the group. So anyway, they go their separate ways and instantly Scooby and Shaggy are beamed up by Blue Falcon Yes, we're introduced to tertiary Hanna-Barbera characters having nothing to do with Scooby-Doo at all. And these characters 
distract, I think, from the core characters that the movie starts to be it, about. Let's face it, Lysos, distract, they fucking suck. They're awful. They well, shouldn't be in this movie at all. No, I they want shouldn't. a Scooby-Doo movie. The movie is called Scoob, not Hanna-Barbera All-Stars. Yeah. Why does every single movie, why, Warner Brothers thinks automatically now, I think every movie studio thinks now that kids won't watch a movie or the movie won't hold the kids' attention unless you put capes in it. Not every movie needs to be a superhero movie. And for me, as a guy that grew up loving superhero movies, I mean, it's one of my favorite things in the entire world. That frustrates me to no end because all of that stuff is just saying it's catering to the Marvel crowd. Like, oh, we need to have that. Yeah. We need to we we need to push that in there so the kids like it. There are scenes that look like they're straight up lifted out of a Thor movie or an Avengers movie. And that to me was not Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo was so much about a team. Yeah. And that little word called mystery. They're they're called Mystery Incorporated. This that of which yeah. is not existent in this movie. No. I didn't see a single mystery in this entire fucking thing. As soon as Scooby and Shaggy meet Blue Falcon and Dee Dee Sykes, she says, um, the bad guy basically is is a guy named Dick Dastardly. And I'm like, okay, well, um, you're introducing your main villain 20 minutes into the movie. There has to be some kind of twist or red herring. There has to be something. But no... <laughs> There's no red herring. There's no twist. There's no mystery to be solved. This isn't Scooby-Doo, at least how it's been for over 50 years. So um, it's also frustrating. As I said, the movie's kind of hijacked by these other characters. The Mystery Inc. gang uh, shares maybe 15 minutes of screen time altogether. And when they are together, I have to say... No I'm chemistry. not feeling any of yeah, it. Zero no. chemistry. The voice acting doesn't really work for me. And obviously, I had already said earlier on um, a little bit, but I'll go out on a limb and say I don't like any of the characters' designs here at all, um, outside of Shaggy and Scooby, which are pretty much you know exactly as you'd expect them to look. Uh, dude, you can't you can't change perfection. You really can't. So I well, mean, well, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm not entirely opposed to the idea of different voice actors the problem is first of all the way they went about it they didn't even contact the voice actors the current voice actors the original voice actors aside well, from dude, Frank Matthew Welker, Lillard Matthew Lillard should have 100% been shaggy here I don't Will know Forte, who's playing Will Forte Sorry. plays shaggy in this and he is not he's trying he's really giving it his all but he's he just doesn't have the shaggy voice he just Matthew Lillard's been doing this character for 20 years uh, or, or did he, did he start with the with the the first live action movie? Is that how he first started as Shaggy? And he's been Shaggy ever since. Yeah. So to not even approach him or ask him to be a part of it is uh, well, it's heart, I'm heartbroken for him. But I guess they wanted higher profile stars so they could they could market it and get butts and seats and whatever. But aside from that, I mean, there is no Mystery Inc. team dynamic. You know, aside from the montage where at the beginning where they replicate the show's intro, there were no horror elements whatsoever. Zero. Um, zero. Like there, there's none. But putting that aside, putting the aside for the fact that it doesn't feel like Scooby-Doo as I know it, because even then I can kind of overlook that, okay, this is just a different iteration and there have been plenty over the years. Um, even if it doesn't embody the elements of what I want to see in a Scooby-Doo movie, is it a good movie? And the answer is no. From a storytelling standpoint, it's not good. It is so frenetically paced because it's constantly throwing 
a million different characters, a million different side plots at you. For for some reason in this movie, they end up on an island where Captain Caveman co- comes into the movie, Captain voiced by Tracy. Caveman. Yeah, voiced by, Tra- by Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Tracy, Tracy Morgan, Morgan. Who. Yep. I love Tracy Morgan. Literally, I, I think when I see him in movies or TV, every single line out of his mouth is hilarious to me. But, but bro, why? bro, he doesn't fit Captain Caveman at all. Well, no, but yes. And why was he in this movie? Like That's my point. Well, like, we know he, why. We, well, to answer your own question, you know yeah, why. They're yeah. trying to create a cinematic universe in one movie. Now, what I was trying to say to you when we were texting each other while we were both watching this thing this should have been the second movie. At least. In theory. <laughs> the way this movie opens is fine. Then give me like a traditional, regular Scooby-Doo storyline. A really good one. Maybe a couple intertwined with each other. Give me some cool monsters, some cool creatures. Give me a Scooby-Doo movie. L- lay the groundwork of your cinematic universe then, first. Yes. A- establish character and then open it up. That's You'd what think Marf- Warner Brothers would know this after how many failed attempts at cinematic universes well, they've had. Yeah, I mean seriously, take it from your own playbook. It, it just it, it. Well, they don't it know. Tried- yeah, it seems like studio interference, where it's like you got to include this, you got to include this. Um, but what Marvel got right is laying the groundwork, and that's. I not- guess we shouldn't be surprised, Saucy, since this is Warner Brothers. In the end, yeah, I mean, exactly. And they're so. making, they're trying to make it into another superhero franchise. And I hope to God it fails. But because it's so jumbled with so much other shit that's not Scooby Doo related, you don't get to know these characters and you don't understand their relationships. I mean, I was able to put the pieces together because I have known Scooby Doo and grown up with Scooby Doo. But as a standalone movie, especially if you're trying to make it like the launching of a franchise, you need to understand your characters. Shaggy is given this weak, weak, thin character arc where he's a loner and then Scooby comes into his life. They become friends. And there's a side plot where Scooby starts to become friends with Blue Falcon and then Shaggy gets jealous. Um, And it's so it's, First of all, it's motivated by nothing, and then it's resolved just as easily later on when they're like, Shaggy and Scooby together say, we've changed. And I'm like, so they don't have to bother writing an actual character arc. They can just have our characters say, we've changed at the end, and that's supposed to convey that. Um, Scooby is reduced to a plot device. There's this really um, convoluted thing where he's the ancestor of Alexander the Great's dog who can open the gates of hell and, and summon Cerberus the 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 ghost three-headed dog it, upon the world and uh, dick dastardly wants to do this to rule the world somehow it's so stupid and convoluted so scooby is a plot device basically and then fred daphne and velma have next to nothing what to do there's in the fuck like, yes this sounds like the most like mishmashed bunch of dumb shit i've ever heard it is 100 percent. so imagine my utter bafflement watching this and then fred daphne and velma have one scene earlier on when they're looking for shaggy and scooby um who get t- who get you know taken he, they, they get chased by robots the minion robots they're trying to throw despicable meme minions into this too um but before they're beamed up they're chased by robots in a bowling alley so Fred, Daphne, and Velma go to the bowling alley, talk to the lady, and she's like, oh, yeah, uh, they got beamed up by a spaceship and chased by robots. Here's one of them. And she takes one of the broken robots. They analyze the broken robot in the mystery machine. They find a hair. They do a DNA 
analysis on the hair and they find out it's Dick Dastardly. That's the extent of Mystery Inc.'s involvement in solving any kind of mystery. One scene. Yeah. There's also a really bad joke in that bowling alley scene when they're investigating where the bowling alley attendant's like, yeah, some guy that, you know, looks like what a middle-aged guy thinks a hippie sounds and looks like. I'm like, they're trying to be meta. Yeah. They're trying to be, they're trying to be meta and they're trying to throw shade at how the, like the characters have talked for over 50 years and you don't get to throw shade when you're, as awful and pandering. They don't, they don't deserve to. They don't deserve to. Even, yeah. There's and, no new identity to these characters. They haven't, they haven't, they haven't gotten the right to get there yet. No. And the, the humor in this movie, the awful reference humor, they're trying to be to- the trendy and topical. They're trying to make jokes about Netflix and Tinder. Kids should not, there should not be a joke about Tinder in a kid's movie. Um, not only that, they, they mention Netflix in that same scene. Voiceos, they repeat it like four times. They say yeah. it over and over again. Yeah. Um, all of these uh, like random references to Warner Brothers properties. There's a scene where they, you know, there's a Harry Potter joke. There's a scene where Shaggy and Scooby um, sing Shallow from A Star is Born to Simon Cowell to as like an audition. It's the movie's full of shit like that that will date the movie instantly and again scooby-doo has always been a little desperate desperate for ideas and reaching for topical things because it's always been kind of like a one-trick pony or the same premise every episode but scooby-doo has reinvented itself over the years uh time and time again and it's managed to be fresh and relevant and interesting and jokes like these are are just so so lame you know you know what it sounds like you know what it sounds like? You know those really, really bad parody movies like Epic Movie, Disaster Movie? Like, it sounds like they wrote one of those because that's all they are is just like a nonstop barrage of like pop culture references. But they just decided to use Scooby-Doo characters and set it in the Hanna-Barbera universe. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> Nick, there's there's a Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye needle drop in this movie. I swear to God. I'm going to put my microphone slider back down now. Goodbye. And I'll say this much. This is my closing note here on this movie. And you can say about it what you will. I texted you about it. And of course, you had to say that there's plenty more problems with the movie than this. But if I have to hear the term toxic masculinity in yeah. a Scooby-Doo movie, yeah. you've instantly failed me. That that for me, I, I mean, literally in every way, this movie wasn't even entertaining <sighs> in the way of me just sitting there with my kid watching it, like, oh, this is fine. Okay, cute little kids movie. It angered me to no end. And I wanted to turn this off. But the epic film guys don't do that. We watch, and I make sure to protest when anyone else ever says, well, I didn't like this movie. I turned it off. You didn't give it an equal opportunity. You need to watch the thing from start to finish. Come on, I finished all of King Solomon's Minds. I mean, you need to watch a movie from start to finish in order to give it a valid opinion. If you don't, you don't have a right to give an opinion on the movie at all whatsoever. In this case, I watched it start to finish. I didn't want to, but I did. And I mostly did it for you, Saucy, because I knew how much you were looking forward to this. Well, you didn't have to do it for me. There was a moment in this movie where I debated turning it off, just not finishing it. It upset me that much. Um, It annoyed me that much. And the toxic masculinity joke, if you could even call it a joke, two characters, two, Blue Falcon and Fred are fighting. 
and a character just shouts out toxic masculinity. And I'm like, first of all, that's not what toxic masculinity is. <laughs> is that the joke? Um, and second of all, again, it's it's pandering. It's one of those toe-curling, cringe-inducing, pandering attempts. Like I bring up the example of Dark Phoenix, where Mystique says, maybe you should think about changing the name to X-Women or Men in Black International. When Tessa Thompson says Men in Black, more like Men and Women in Black, that stuff, it's fine to have representation in a movie. But lines like this are so desperate and pandering. Anyway, I, I'm getting I'm getting upset are, are there, here. So I'm, I mean, gonna... I'm just saying, are you are you trying to get your five year old to say that term, like run around the house and say that this movie is clearly made for young children? It's not really made for very, us, very, we, very young. We should children. still we should still being Scooby Doo fans be able to enjoy this. We are looking forward to this. I mean, I see a lot of people online, a lot of people that are adults that grew up like yourself that loved Scooby Doo and really wanted this movie to be good. And for me, it just didn't give me a Scooby-Doo movie at all whatsoever. Yeah. And it didn't give me an entertaining kids movie on the end of that. So I'm going to go ahead and throw my rating on this thing. I'm giving it a two out of 10. That's literally it. Wow. I'm giving, I'm giving the two points to the people that actually sat there. Even though the animation is not that good, it's not up to par with anything Pixar or Disney's done or even any of the stuff Dream, DreamWorks has done. But a lot of people spent a lot of hard work and a lot of time doing that animation on their computers a lot of people actually whatever the budget was given they did the movie based on that and uh, i give you props for that because you at least attempted to make something but otherwise i would never watch this again and if warner brothers continues to make these movies i will not be watching yeah absolutely not so um there's a there's a scene in this movie where the mystery machine gets into an accident. It explodes. It's in flames. And there's a moment where you're really supposed to feel something. Cause Fred is like, no, the mystery machine. Um, and I did not care at all. The mystery machine was, was in flames and I didn't care. And that should speak to this movie's utter, utter failure in establishing meaningful connections with the iconography. It's plundering. It's a shameless, like nakedly, pandering shameless attempt at establishing a cinematic universe out of these old creaky properties who cares about captain caveman i i get that they're trying to establish a franchise whatever not a bad idea in and of itself but you have to ease into it not throw everything at the audience all at once there are things moments fleeting moments that i liked about the film there's a chase in an amusement park that's super you know, and fun to watch. Jason Isaacs as Dick Dastardly is having the time of his life. And I love Jason Isaacs anyway, um, to have him play a villain and really sink his teeth into uh, playing a villain, I think is super fun, especially when as cartoonish as Dick Dastardly is. But of course, Dick Dastardly is not interesting as a villain. There's no mystery whatsoever. As I mentioned, there is a lot of great Scooby-Doo content out there. So if someone watches this movie, not being a Scooby-Doo fan and, and thinking that this is what is represented representative of the brand that has wrong look at scooby-doo mystery incorporated the animated series look at you know scooby-doo on zombie island or scooby-doo and the witch's ghost um there's a fan series being made right now i think they're still crowdfunding it called mystery incorporated and it's an origin story for the mystery Inc. gang they show you know the the how the mystery machine the origin of that how the group comes together and it looks way better they use a real Great Dane for Scooby. Like, I want to support projects like that, not projects like this. This movie fundamentally misunderstands 
the appeal and the premise and the characters that have endured for over 50 years. I tweeted this as like my sign off for the live tweet that I did. 2020 truly is the darkest timeline and Scoob is yet more evidence. I'm giving it a two out of 10 as well. Scooby dooby doo. Where were you in your own motherfucking movie? <laughs> oh my 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 my! So there it is—the full and the full and complete shellacking that I fully expected Scoob to receive, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna go ahead over into a break and we're going to play I don't know some promos probably for some upcoming podcast partners in the live stream for The Cure and then when we come back gentlemen when we come back it's time to crank up that canon theme we're getting back into hashtag canon quarantine with Ninja 3 The Domination get ready ladies and gentlemen you do not want to miss any of it We love your movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot, holds a gratuitous movies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. I downloaded an episode of Netflix and Swill. Does this mean I get to watch Netflix now? No, you can't watch Netflix until you understand the phrase poop. Poop? Once you understand poop, you'll understand your place as a listener of this podcast. But what does poop mean? Uh-huh. It's actually a carefully organized code. Listen closely. People order our podcast. Oh, poop. Looks like Mr. Caleb understands poop. Here's a typical podcast listener. I wonder what they want. Well, if we remember poop, we can figure it out. I'd like to watch... Do you think they're going to watch A, an Amy Schumer comedy special, B, Gypsy, or C, a good show? One good show, please. Ah, poop. You never let us down. Now that you understand poop, I bet you think you're ready to watch Netflix... Netflix! Ha <laughs> ha! Not so fast, Eager McBeaver. You still need to finish listening to Netflix and Swill. You can find the show at netflixandswill.com or on your favorite podcast service. And now, to talk about personal hygiene. Do you want me to do the happy thing? I Cheers. want you to do the happy thing. Make with the happy. Right now? Right now. All right. So a lot of people ask me what our show's about. It's about happiness and this. Balls. Poop. Balls and poop and balls and poop and balls and poop. Balls. Poops. Balls. Poops. Balls. Poops. Balls. Poops. 
balls in poop time. Balls in poop time. Wait, sound check. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. That sums it up. We are Afterburn 739. We are a podcast about absolutely nothing and about everything. I am Leo. On the podcast is Kitty and Cobra. Hi. And Fez. Midgey, hello. You can find us on Twitter, Afterburn739, iTunes, all those wild and crazy places where you can find podcasts. We like to have a good time. (laughs) Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. And it... (laughs) We're going to take a hard, hard, hard left-hand turn from the two out of ten ratings that Justin and the Sauce lambasted Scoob with, and we're going to take a trip into hashtag canon quarantine. How you going to die? So we're going from a 2 out of 10 movie to a 10 out of 10 movie. Is that right? It's funny you should say that, Loy Sauce, because I wanted to open this up with a review that I found that was written over 20 years ago over on IMDb, which is just scary that IMDb has been around that long. No, it hasn't. Calm down. But so this is this is the entire review. Wow. I've never seen nor heard of this film. It just came on TV, 2 a.m., and I am in complete awe. Set up. A bunch of rich fat cats are out golfing. One knocks a ball into the rough. It lands by a ninja. A tuxedoed man walks over to pick up the ball. The ninja grabs it, crushes it in his hand. Man pulls gun. Ninja pulls blowgun. Ninja blows dart into gun barrel. Gun explodes. This is just the beginning of the greatness, people. Everyone must see this movie. Ten big old fat stars. (laughs) Uh, well yes i I think that's extremely accurate um (laughs) very appropriate but before we all begin i i just um i just i think we can all agree that this is the greatest movie ever made is that right yes i mean i'm gonna have a hard time arguing against that like i said earlier on i'd I'd have to argue it's definitely a contender for a top five yes 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 so uh ninja three the domination was um directed by auteur filmmaker Sam Furstenberg, who also brought us the um, <laughs> next favorite movie ever made, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. I mean... Avenging uh, Force, which is another canon quarantine movie that we talked about. That's right. There's, that's right. So there is no Ninja 1 or 2. Um, I, I, I noticed on Amazon Prime that both Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja, um, Ninja 3's uh, predecessors, are both on there. And I debated watching, but then I was like... There's no point in doing that because those movies are completely unrelated to Ninja Theory yeah, Domination. It's, it's an anthology series. It's not like they're not continuous sequels, even though they do, you know, feature the same actor. Let's just so say, though, call it Ninja Three. But, but, I don't know. Both, both are very, very highly entertaining. So don't don't throw them under the bus until you watch them. Well, the, we, you know, they may show up on a future episode of Canon Quarantine. So um, for all we know. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, I have not seen them. But uh, I'm, I'm anxious to if there are anything to the level of quality as Ninja 3. But um, the, the version of Ninja 3 that I watched on Amazon Prime, by the way, was um, awful. It was like this full screen. It had to have been a DVD rip. Um, but it was, yeah, very poor quality. Uh, dark. It was yeah. very dark. It was so hard to see. 
So Shout Factory uh, has released two Blu-ray versions of the f- versions of the film. In 2018, they released their 4K restoration, and I'm sure that's a much better way to watch the movie. But anyway, the way I would describe this film to someone who hasn't seen it, if you take a ninja movie and combine it with The Exorcist, and then you sprinkle in a little flash dance, um, then you're only scratching the surface of the insanity of Ninja 3, The Domination. It's kind of become a running theme during canon quarantine, hashtag canon quarantine, that the opening scenes of these movies are so ludicrous, so over the top. Um, and this is yet another one. Um, I, I want to get your guys' impressions on this opening scene, but it's um, what I call the, the the golf course massacre, this completely unmotivated attack on a golf course in, in broad daylight. Um, but gentlemen, you're... Opinions right off the bat of the opening scene, please. It's literally the greatest thing <laughs> you'll ever see. You know what? If you you, you do you want to really do you want to really loy sauce make the perfect movie? You take this opening and you somehow put the ending of Death Wish three in it, <laughs> and it's the greatest movie ever. Because this number one, this action sequence literally just keeps going. Like every time you think it's gonna stop, it just keeps going. And yes, that review that I read, I again we talked about it last week with King Solomon's Minds, and like you said, every single week there's something that happens. There's some magical canon movie moment almost <laughs> that happens and in this movie it is the ninja pulls out a blow gun and blows a blow dart at the cop the blow dart hits the cop's gun and the gun explodes it doesn't I, just hit the gun uh, it, it goes into the goes into barrel, the barrel. Of it. <laughs> into, i almost fell out of my chair laughing i literally i had to pause the movie and go back like a minute because i'm I, <laughs> I missed stuff because I was laughing so goddamn hard. It's, I mean, this is, I mean, every time, and I know I'm still the canon noob, but every time it just feels like canon finds a way to outdo themselves. And they did it once again with, with, with Ninja 3 The Domination. We'll get, we'll get to all the other great things about the movie and the really, really not great things about the movie. We'll get there, but... This opening sequence is, I love, and we'll talk a lot about the choreography, like the fight choreography and the stunt choreography. It's great. It's great. The fight work in this is probably some of the best, if not the best that I've seen so far from all of the canon output. Like, it really feels like you get actually well-trained martial artists in here that, you know, can actually do stunts gunplay still leaves a lot to be desired we'll talk about you african-american cop at the funeral later who's just like screaming in ecstasy as he wildly fires the gun into the air for no reason whatsoever Uh, before he gets an arrow in the throat throat. yeah but it's uh yeah justin you're you're get get in here on the opening man yeah i'm probably the only one on this show that has watched this movie more than once uh this is a movie i've watched a bunch of times and i fucking love it i love yeah, it it was my, it was my so, second time watching it but so much. highly enjoy it yeah but you were perfectly right in saying this is yet another canon movie that opens up and you have no idea what's going on other than ninja <laughs> ninja to kill people at the golf course have the ninja drop down grab grab the grab the golf ball and crush it in his hand 
and then a bunch of yuppies will ride up on golf carts. Then the ninja will shoot an arrow into his hand. When the yuppies try to, we're trying to run away on the golf cart, the dude gets out with, <laughs> with the fucking golf club like he's going to do anything. All these badass security guys just got fucking mowed down and slaughtered in like seconds. But yeah, you think you're going to do something to this dude. And I love how his girlfriend, like dude, the ninja just like slashes her in the arm and then starts to walk away. And then he comes back and slices at her again. He's like, this ninja, he's fucking brutal. He's going to, he doesn't give a fuck if you're man, woman, child. He's about to kill all you motherfuckers. And that's what I appreciate about these canon movies, the R-rated canon movies, how much suffering and death there are (laughs) in these movies. You get people stabbed with ninja throwing stars. You get people sliced with swords, stuck with arrows. I mean... And Saucy, you can't beat... Tell me if I'm wrong with this. You cannot beat how these people are selling these deaths. This is what I miss in action movies. When I see a guy get hit with a fucking ninja star in the face, I want to see him jump back 10 feet in the air and fly (laughs) all over the place. That's what I'm saying. You don't see that in movies now. You just, you know, I love the John Wick movies and I'll use them in as, as an example. All this realism nowadays. When you see them getting shot with a gun, it's like bang, bang, and they just fall over. I'm like, I want to see the dude fucking do a flip in the air for no reason. Like that's, I just miss when they would sell it so over the top. Absolutely. I mean, over the top is these movies bread, <laughs> bread and butter. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, and, and to Nick's point, the scene just keeps going and going um, and escalating too. like you get the ninja on top of the cop car, stabbing through the co- uh, the top of the car with his sword. It's exciting. It's a really, really exciting. You have no idea what's going on or why it's, it's literally happening, but then it's exciting. Literally, <laughs> it's all so much out of context. You, I mean, literally, like I said, you just have to hold on. You just have to hold on and go for the ride. That's all you can do. I guess the reason why the ninja's doing this is because he's an evil ninja. I guess <laughs> that's like the only he's a bad motherfucker. And that's, that's, <laughs> you don't really need any, any ex- you don't need an explanation. We don't even get any of that explanation until literally like an hour into the movie, like where we finally start to like piece some semblance of the plot of the movie together. It's really uh, more so than a lot of the canon movies even that we've seen. It is really just a loose assemblage of stuff that happens. It really is. <laughs> I mean, dude, when you see a cop get a ninja star in the throat and go, and blood gushing out, you're like, okay, I know what this movie exactly. is. And I don't need anything else other exactly. than that. that. That's the movie I'm watching. Then you get a cop, get one in his face, and then you see the cop and the ninja free fall from an actual chopper into the water, like a fucking 50 foot free fall. And you're like, this, this is the greatest thing Dude, I've the, ever this, seen. The shot, on the, celluloid. The, the shot of the cop car flying up over the, going into the lake. Like, Oh my, there's so many just, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those, like if you watch this in a theater, which please, for the love of God, I need to, f- to find a theater that'll play this movie. Loisos, you need to book this. Book this when movie. Alamo comes back. This I would needs to stand happen. up out of my out of my chair and I would be pumping my fist and cheering like throughout this whole segment because it's just so fucking amazing. It's it's just literal insanity from beginning to end. And then we we have to move on to the centerpiece of this movie. This is the whole part of the movie that well most people think made it a failure because the first two ninja movies were semi-successful because they had the word ninja in the title, which meant that people that were into that kind of thing would automatically flock to the theater. And 
here comes to the door none other than the beauty that is Lucinda Dickey. Yes. Um, she plays uh, Christy Ryder, who's a telephone line worker by day and aerobics instructor by day. Yes, she does both of those She's fucking versatile. things. versatile. I guess so, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> she becomes possessed by the spirit of the evil ninja um, because he's, well, he's not, okay, so he's not murdered by the cops, or is he? I, I guess he is murdered by the cops. He gets shot like 15,000 times um, by the cops. And um, you would think with that many bullets in a man, he <laughs> he would die way sooner than, you know, when he, when he does in the actual movie. But... Um, but anyway, so he's pissed and he wants revenge. So he, the spirit of the ninja possesses her. Um, as, as we find out later, um, they, they take her to get exercise and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but only a ninja can destroy a ninja. Um, which is, which was news to me. I didn't know that before I watched this movie that only a ninja could destroy a ninja Listen, let's but, not complain about that because it's finally the thing that brings like the actual plot threads in this movie together because otherwise i mean it really is just a loose assembly. during the final battle between the two ninjas i mean literally your main character in the film lucinda dickey is legitimately just standing there and they just cut the to reaction thing. shots of them like for like brief moments back and forth but i want dude they're watching again, it like they're watching a tennis match it's my God. But. Well, Justin, I actually want to ask you because the, you, you insinuated just now that people blame Lucinda Dickey for the failure of this movie. Why Why? Why would that be? Because she's a treasure and we must well, protect well, director, her at all costs. Well, director Sam Furstenberg, when he came on to this, uh, he had done the film that came out before this one. And Golan really wanted her pushed to the forefront. It was his idea to have her be the ninja. Like, oh, you'll have an, a woman ninja in this one. It'll be different than the last two. And that's, <laughs> that's what he wanted. He he really, he thought she was going to be a gigantic star. And as you can see with the canon movies that she's in, they push her really, really hard. Um, unfortunately, uh, as you said earlier, the movie ended up looking nothing like a regular traditional ninja movie and being a mishmash of a bunch of different genres thrown together, which I quite love. Um, but, but that's not Lucinda Dickey's fault. But no, I mean, the, the people that liked those movies just didn't buy a female ninja, in particular, Lucinda Dickey as the main ninja in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because Lucinda Dickey's character obviously is not a ninja, but she's possessed you know, by the spirit of a ninja. So she, I guess, by proxy becomes one. Um, but you don't see female ninjas in movies um so it's kind of refreshing to have a little bit of change of pace whether or not people buy into that uh or whether or not they bought into it in the 80s um i can't I mean, really the speak movie, to that but the there, movie i mean made female money. ninjas existed you just don't see them very often in media the movie made money i mean opening weekend it made almost two million dollars and worldwide uh it made almost eight million rounds it up so i mean for a canon movie that's not too shabby i'd have to say no. but i mean compared to the box office the the previous two ninja movies had and make no mistake they were using that word ninja to kind of basically just kind of riff on what bruce lee had done um prior to that and you know that genre hadn't really been uh, as exploited as it could have been at that point in time so they they kind of 
Canon kind of made that happen in the U.S. They, they rode the wave, yeah. Yeah, sure. they did. And with this one, see, I personally, you know, love Lucinda Dickey in the role. And I think it's great. I think it's a great ex- experiment to see a female character take on this kind of role. Especially like a slasher villain she becomes at a certain point in the movie. The, the movie kind of adopts a horror angle to it, not just the supernatural angle of her being possessed, but she goes out killing people one by one. It's like a revenge movie revenge. too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel Nick. like I just have to, as I did when we watched Breaking 2. Don't be a perv. Just point out how absolutely perfect Lucinda Dickey is. Just... <laughs> No, I, mean, I will dude, be a pervert, Lloyd Sauce, because let me tell you, I loved those fucking scenes. The aerobics, it's like a five-minute aerobics class that she teaches in the movie <laughs> for no in the first act. And then there's a whole scene in the second act where her insanely rapey, disgusting fucking boyfriend yeah, comes to the to apartment and like she's just sitting there doing like a power workout in her panties and just like this really tight, clingy t-shirt. I mean, listen. I'm I'm all about it. She's a strong character in some regards outside of that, but she's also incredibly sexy. I really regret that uh, she just didn't do anything else acting wise. She did like one or two things otherwise after this. Yeah, she retired like, in 1990. Yeah. So she uh, breaks my heart because she could have been like a huge, 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 huge star. She was so I'm, I'm fit. I mean, I'm, I'm into fit girls. All right. Deal with it. But can we please, for the love of Christ, talk about Billy Secord, who is this guy. Jordan Bennett, yeah. The, the hairiest, guy, grossest, beefcake <laughs> love interest ever. Fucking, I mean, basically, gentlemen, gentlemen, just don't forget that if you just pester a woman incessantly enough, she will invite you back to her house, pour V8 on herself, and then let you plow her just because. Well, yes, the relationship, the the love that develops between these two characters, Holy if you want to call it that, fuck. is one of the most unconvincing in cinema history. You don't understand why because she she's fi- so she she's so venomous toward him and she's so resistant toward him. Like he comes off as like a slimy, but just kind of like just dipshit kind of character like and she's not into him at all and then legitimately two minutes of screen time later she's humping him i'm like what the fuck just happened well maybe it's because she beat all those fucking dudes at the gym's asses and then she got this kind of confidence and this this change yeah, happened she beat there their asses after that he, moment he st- number okay two things about that see number one he's a fucking police officer and he stands there and just watches these bunch of dudes attempt to rape her outside of the gym for no fucking reason and then then when they're in the fucking car going like to wherever he's like hey i could have you arrested for that to fu- because you assaulted them i'm like you clearly witnessed, number one, you're the worst fucking cop in the world because they were trying <laughs> to assault her and she fucking fended them off, like fought them off. Like, are you fucking kidding me? And then this is the scene, like literally he stops the car. He's like, oh, fine. I guess you don't want me anyway. And then he stops the car and she's like, all of a sudden, do you want to drive yeah, me I'll home? Fuck you. Like legit, it's that fast in the movie, and I was I was so taken aback by it. I'm like, what the like first this character is so fucking skeezy. Ooh. 
Even the first dude, time you see uh, him in the police station when she's sitting there and he's just like staring at her. Just yeah. And like dude, oh, the way that he, yeah, it's it, creepy. There's a line shit. there too where they're like, they're kind of force feeding her to you a little bit where she walks away and he's like, God, is she beautiful? And like, really? We already, we can see her. You don't need to say that. We can tell she's a very attractive and sexy woman. Like that Thank whole you very thing, much. like everything, like that opening of the movie is just amazing. She is great in this movie. I love her in this movie. She's gorgeous. She's strong. Like she's, you know, she's somebody who's, who's definitely, you know, not like your kind of like bombshell, like archetypal, this like dumb bombshell kind of character. Like she's fit. She's strong. She, the she, direct opposite of Sharon Stone and King Solomon's Minds. Bazinga. I'm not on the soundboard. I'm sorry. Oh, wait. Yes, I am. Wait. It's right there. I didn't even see it. Sorry. There we go. But, you know, then you, you immediately have this character. Then you immediately undercut her and you pair her with the skeeziest dude ever after after a scene in which he watches a bunch of dudes try to rape her. She fends does them nothing. off and beats their asses after he does nothing and then accuses her of assaulting them, which is basically just a huge roundabout way of if you pester her incessantly enough and if you guilt her about it enough, she will fuck you. It's disgusting. Disgusting. Ugh. Awful, Made me feel awful so character. fucking skeezy. Yeah, awful character, the way it's written. But also, um, we need to talk about how hairy this man is. <laughs> I said earlier, he's the hairiest looking motherfucker. And I'm telling you, like, but let's let, let's make this clear. I started I said, gagging at one point when she at the <laughs> dude. This is the 80s. This is the 80s. I said earlier, I love aerobics. I love headbands, spandex. You know, leg warmers, arcade games. This has everything. I was like, did I just have a wet dream or did I die and go to heaven with this movie? But the guy being hairy, that was a thing then, man. You if you were hairy, I mean, you were hairy and women liked it, you know? Sure. Big, sure. puffy, hairy chest. But the dude's back, though. Come on, dude. Come on. Well, this dude is. L- l- I don't know why people think that, that we haven't found Sasquatch because we found him, and he started the movie way back in 1984. So, yeah, yeah. Jesus. And, and so anyway, she invites him back to her apartment, which um, was a set, so it was designed to look this way, which is baffling to me because the the furnishings in this apartment. God, I want to live there right now. I love it so much, dude. So she has an arcade game uh, in her house, which is awesome. Um, she has one of those like spinny turbine things that you find on roofs, on rooftops, um, on top of a refrigerator, which I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, she has these bizarre metal headboards on her bed and on her couch, which that doesn't look comfortable at all. Um, so I don't know. The also, choices. She, she also has, I mean, she works for the telephone company, so I guess it makes sense that she's got like a gigantic wooden empty wire spool. Like, I mean, it's just, I, I yeah. think they just had whatever extra stuff they had. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a canon movie, so I think they just, whatever extra stuff they had laying around, they were just like, here, chuck this in there. But I think the production design, personally, I think is really good for a canon movie. If you look at it, there are scenes that take place in that warehouse flat that are quintessential pure 80s. The bright pink neons with the blues and the purple colors that all kind of blend in together with it. I mean, it, it literally fits her character to a T with the aerobics and everything. Like I said, this for me is an 80s wet dream in every possible way. 
Absolutely. Um, she does have some sick wall art too. Uh, I will say. Yeah, that. she does. She she's got some, which looks like some Craig Descartes uh, pieces on her wall. I may get that name wrong, but I'm pretty sure like that's a the Duran Duran album cover. Yeah, or something. yeah, exactly. Like a lot of those uh, influenced pieces from that time period. You could even walk into a fucking McDonald's in the early '90s, and there would still be some of those on the walls. But, um, but then we get the the classic uh, scene in which she. <laughs> okay, so V8 I think is the least sexy beverage imaginable to begin uh, with. But then she takes his V8 that he's drinking and she pours it on her chest and has him suck it off of her, which just made my skin crawl. <laughs> and uh that wasn't in the script. Uh director Sam Furstenberg uh decided randomly, to put that in the movie. Yeah, he randomly so came up with that. <laughs> we ha- we have him to blame for that disgusting display that we see on screen. I mean, food um, fetishes, maybe they were just starting to come into trends at that time. Listen, I, I would suck V8 off of Lucinda Dickey, but that's neither here nor <laughs> there. there. We go. Nick, I think we know. I think, <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're kind of aware of that at this point. Don't hate. I told you not to be a perv. Um, you, wait, why? Wow, that was like five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this it's it's a baffling scene. And I imagine if this were to be shown in theaters, that people would just be yeah I, that, that's the only real thing is, is like it is. this must have literally been the only drink that they had anywhere on set that they could have grabbed to throw this little scene that he wanted to toss in here as a th- or maybe did they just not want to go back and reshoot the scene where she was like i've got some v8 in my apartment so they had no, to I think use v8 i think they're trying to inform her character she's a healthy minded person she doesn't drink coffee she said coffee's step. bad for you. I mean, yeah, come she, on. It's not going to be soda. It's not going to be uh it's not going to be coffee. You're going you're going to pour V8 on her, I guess. That's what they were thinking um to 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 make her be a more health-minded individual, I suppose, yeah, but uh, kinky. You do see her eating yogurt later on in the movie, so <laughs> bitch has got to be healthy. It's good for your digestive system. Anyway, <laughs> So, um, along to when she's okay so you where you were getting to was when she, the spirit kind of comes over her in her flat that scene of her and it taking over and it getting dark with the neon colors kind of flourishing around her well and that scene there yeah that scene's cool too i love the 
little wavy neon lights um, that are reflected against her face. Um, her closet, I guess, <laughs> um, uh, has like smoke coming from it, wind coming from and it, and then you see- sword kind of hopping out. <laughs> you sword see? hopping out on the string. Oh my God. <laughs> Like, I love that anytime in the movie you see a sword coming out of anywhere, you could tell it's on a string and it's just like hopping along, like when happily I said, hopping along. When I said see the, um, my phone, Siri, thought I was talking to her, so sorry about that. Yes, you can definitely still see the string. I'm sure Blu-ray, the 4K restoration didn't do this movie any favors, because um, you can see, <laughs> you can see, uh, the string carrying that sword along. It's so adorable the way it comes out of the closet around the corner. But then from there, you know, we have a scene where she goes in and, you know, she's possessed by this ninja spirit. She just starts killing all these cops that were involved in the, the original ninja's death. She goes in and brutally attacks this old fucking man in a wife beater playing pool. Like, it's the funniest thing ever. Like, he throws a pool ball at her and she slices it in half and just repeatedly starts kicking his old ass against the wall. I'm like, this is the most entertaining thing I've ever seen my entire <laughs> life. Kick that old fuck. He can't get up out of his chair anyway, but keep keep beating him. There's another really bizarre scene where she uh, confronts one of the cops with uh, with two broads in, in a jacuzzi. Wait a minute. Wait, what? Hey, hold on. Because I have problems with this scene. Not really problems. Beat it, bitch. Not really problems, but okay. So, the, n- number one of uh, these two, w- two women are combined are probably half as old as that cop is. Uh, that notwithstanding, I mean, whatever. People are going to do what people are going to do. But it's it's clear. It's insanely clear that these two girls they're like all over this cop in this hot tub, and they're clearly like trying to get down with him. And then she shows up, and they get like offended, like what what are you doing here like what's like this isn't that kind of club or like whatever like that like they weren't totally gonna start blowing him in the hot tub about one minute later <laughs> like it's the it's the weirdest and like the dialogue the one girl who is this guy's a real jerk terrible like what are they doing line deliverly deliverly whatever it, whatever it is he's enjoying it's it it's just it's ridiculous the line delivery the dialogue is just absolutely horrible and it's like these two were like legitimately ready to bend over the side of the hot tub 30 seconds earlier and now they're like all in. like what it's the weirdest fucking thing i'm just yeah, like yeah but what dude the fuck? but then but then she starts to choke a bitch out and then she kills all them people See, that was great in I that hot that. tub I with that. which i loved like that's the slasher fan in me going like yes and, yeah. and applauding that at was the that was perfectly fine with yeah. that. I love it. Like I said, I love when the one girl's like, "Beat it, bitch!" <laughs> like we're about to suck this old man's balls on our own. We don't need you to suck anything. <laughs> <laughs> have we mentioned that this is the greatest movie of all time? Uh, I think we may have even opened with, with yeah, that. But, no, um, we didn't. We didn't say it enough. We have to keep saying it. I, I also like to talk about the scene where they go visit the um, the Japanese shaman, uh, only no to mention himself. Only to mention the wonderful dummy shot that we get <laughs> when oh. Lucinda Dickey's chained up and she goes full Linda Blair. Uh, full, you know, full demon mode. And she starts, well, she's like chained up and she starts flipping over 
And it, the shot of the dummy is so hilarious. I was <laughs> on the floor laughing at that scene. <laughs> oh, and you got James dude. Hong in that scene. Lo Pan himself from That's Big right. Trouble in Little China. Amazing Asian character actor who shows up in a lot of great movies and a lot of piss poor movies in the 80s. And he's basically trying to they're trying to figure out what's wrong with her. Um, you know, Mr. Hairball himself is trying to help this chick out. And yeah, like no, it's too dangerous. They don't they don't want to fuck with this. Once they realize what what how dangerous and how powerful this evil spirit is inside her. And then, of course, we have like what's an attempt at, uh, you know, an exorcism scene, which I quite like. I really like it. And I think, you know, to what Nick had said earlier on, I think Lucinda Dickey does a pretty good job in that scene. I mean, it's yeah, a does. very difficult thing to sell. Uh, and as cornball as it is, because it is a canon movie, I think she's playing it as straight as she possibly can. And she does a really good yeah, job. She sells it really well. She gives she she gives a really she gives a really good performance in that scene. But I think I think now we have to talk about because there's a whole other plot element of this film that comes up in the third act because there's no way to resolve this whole plot thread without having a completely different character who i mean if you're in a, I, I did some reading about the other films in the anthology series uh which is uh show kosugi if i'm pronouncing that correctly who you know is in the other two ninja films he basically is just kind of randomly like they just they never explain to you like really who he is or what he's doing in the first two acts of the movie they just kind of keep randomly cutting back to him he's got an eye patch for some reason like you just don't know anything about him but they kind of just keep it's it reminded me if you think about venom that fucking piece of shit where they kind of just keep reminding you that like the symbiotes were like were there and then finally in like the third act of the movie they finally become relevant that's kind of the way his character is like he's really not relevant to anything with the plot because it doesn't have anything to do with him so the third act is definitely this is like the anti-death wish three it's like the third act of this movie is definitely i think the worst part of it i, I think it like hugely lets it down which isn't a check on the amazing amazing martial arts choreography and action it's just you don't care about this character. He means nothing because he's basically just kind of wandering in and out of scenes in the, the first two thirds of the movie and doing nothing. They needed to integrate him better into the plot. He yeah. does. You do get the sense that he's been tracking this ninja and that he's always um, kind of on the lookout for his whereabouts. Um, but but you don't get a sense of who his character is or um you know why he's hunting for this ninja you just get the sense that he's a good ninja searching for a bad ninja in order to defeat him like it's very simplistic um it's incredibly movie, threadbare like the movie really nothing. could have been about about him yeah um but yeah he's but then very you get no aerobics or leg warmers or hot lucinda dicky i mean you could you, you just could the have only those elements a little bit minutes more. longer. So like they could have just added 10 minutes of runtime. I mean, I know that means that golden globus would have had to pay for film, but you know, and also I read this, uh, that the, uh, golden and globus were under the impression that if you had a 90 minute action movie, 45 minutes of those 90 had to be action sequences. So because of that mentality, 
very, very few, or very little screen time is spent on things, like, trivial matters like story. Um, but we do get a lot of great action sequences. Um, there's one in a construction site. There's an amazing one in a, a cemetery. All of the fight choreography is terrific. Lucinda Dickey, I think, handles herself very well during the stunts. Apparently, she only had a week to learn all of yeah. the martial arts in the film. And she, I mean, it's, it's extremely impressive what she pulls off. And um, Shokasugi as well. So what do you guys think about the fights in this movie? I mean, the action scenes, I think, are really impressive. They are yeah. fantastic. They re- they really, really are. I mean, this is, this, this is what you're sitting down to watch this movie for. The opening scene, I mean, we talked about it uh, numerous times in this series, but it's it's setting a tone. It's setting a precedent for what is to come in the movie and and this where as last time when we did king solomon's minds we talked about how there was a tonal inconsistency all over it i don't think any of that's present here i think the tone of this movie is definitely very clear and consistent throughout they definitely just keep chucking all of these great like amazing amazing action sequences at you it's so much fun it's so exciting. It's so entertaining. It's just the the problem is is when you mention that Lois Oz, forty five minutes has to be action. Forty five minutes is just essentially filler. Give us better filler. Like that's fine. You can give us you can give us forty five minutes of action and it's excellent. But a film like Avenging Force gives us at least somewhat better filler. Although it didn't have Lucinda Dickey in it, so you're kind of you know one one hand and then the other like you know. Which, which one do you kind of kind of weigh but weigh yeah, your pros and cons the action in this film i mean this is why you're saddling up for it you're saddling up for this just great stuff here like i said aside from the gunplay which like i said there's that scene where they're at the cop's funeral and she in full ninja mode shows up at the funeral to kill another one of the cops and like legitimately like it's hard to tell if they know where she is or if they don't but no, for what, Nick, they don't know where she is they're just shooting at random trees yeah but like <laughs> there's that one scene and i think they just recycled the same shot of, of that one african-american officer like three different times he grabs a rifle and then he's just sitting there wildly swinging back and forth like roaring like shooting at you don't even know what because you don't you just see him you don't see what he's actually it's the most <laughs> It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Well, and in pure canon fashion, his voice is hilariously dubbed over. Oh, yeah, it is. Like, by, I, I can only assume a, a, some are you gonna say a white guy? white man. Are you going <laughs> to yeah. say a white guy? Oh, God, here we go. No, it's definitely dubbed over. But one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when that African-American guy, that cop, gets an arrow in his fucking neck and he sells it. <laughs> a great he shot. sells it like he's about to win an Academy Award from <laughs> this that is a show. great shot. Flies back in the air. Ugh! I mean, like, if anything, this movie is worth watching for all of the amazing actors that are selling all of these deaths. It's like these guys had one chance in Hollywood. Like, okay, all right, John, you finally made it into a movie. Well, you here's the contrast. The contrast between this and a movie like King Solomon's Minds is when I watch King Solomon's Minds, I don't get the impression that anyone's having really any fun with it, especially the lead characters. Everybody in this movie, like when I'm watching this, it looks like everybody's having a blast. They know what kind of movie they're making. 
They're really trying to just do their best to give an entertaining, good performance to really sell everything and really just make the best film that they can for what they're making it for. And that, I think, is why you turn up to these canon movies and why you love certain canon movies and why you really don't like others because you can just really tell where the effort is and that the cast is really giving it their all. The director is really giving it his all. Like You can really feel like everybody... They know exactly. They're making a schlocky, schlocky movie, but they're all here for it. Every single one of them. They love it. They want it to be the best thing it can be. They want to entertain audiences, and it does in spades. And Nick, I think that's a great point that you bring up, and it really shows the deeper we get into this canon series, the more you're able to analyze, first of all, analyze the films for what they are, but compare them to other canon films and figure out why certain ones work and why some don't. Um, well, King Solomon's so, Mines doesn't work because of that fucking stupid giant sludge dragon thing that, that Justin swears is a hippo. It's a hippo, damn it. It's a, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a hippo. Uh, One of these days, I'm going to reach out to somebody from I just Cannon wanted to bring that hippo back up. Justin is so desperate to be correct on this issue that he's. this is the hill he's willing to die on. He, he, he is willing to put his entire life on the line saying that that's a hippo. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Or a hippo-like creature. Hippo-like. <laughs> okay, I will give you a hippo-like creature, yes. Um, no, but... Um, it has melted Nick, to I... a point where it somewhat resembles a giant hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs> the way it opens its mouth. I mean, come on. But no, moving back to Ninja 3, Blaise, why don't you why don't you finish out your thoughts here? So we've already talked at length about how gosh darn entertaining this thing is. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to reiterate that again. Uh, of course, the movie is full of bizarre gaffes and double entendres and continuity errors that you see in a lot of canon movies. Uh, at the beginning, when you see the ninja jump out of the lake in the very next shot, he's completely, completely dry. Completely dry, yeah. <laughs> uh, at one point, um, Lucinda Dickey's character has this... Um, bruise over her eye and then later on which is only supposed to be the same day the bruise is completely gone so i mean there's stuff like that you can pick apart and and um call the movie shoddy for that reason but this film's so absurd and it's an absurd pastiche of everything that i love martial arts action supernatural horror slasher jazzercise it all comes together in this glorious glittering gem of 80s cinema and for me it's one of the undisputed highlights of the canon canon ninja 3 the domination i know we're not doing number ratings for these movies but if we were 10 out of 10 20 out of 10 <laughs> 30 out of 10 it's funny because before we even started this series Loy sauce this is one of the titles one of the the handful of titles that you actually brought up to me as in this is the movie we need to be talking about so you have been championing us talking about this movie since since the beginning so you finally got your wish and i i told thank you, you patrons I, or not yeah, patrons I, well thank you dumpster dwellers and well they picked a fucking ninja movie over a charles bronson movie and i'm not mad at him but um, you're mad. totally right and what you said about it, I, I love this movie so, so much. This has been a midnight movie for me on many occasions. And I like all of the canon ninja movies. Um, 
the one that came after this is definitely one that's recommended, which is American Ninja, which, uh, you know, Furstenberg did with Michael Dudikoff from Avenging Force. Um, but yes, like I said earlier, it has everything you want. Ninjas, aerobics, headbands. There's an arcade game that like spits out smoke. And then, you know, there's like a possession scene from that. One of my favorite things about it, though, and, and I'll and I'll stop talking is the amazing, iconic score, synthesizer score by Udi Harpaz and Misha Seagal. It is very well known in the world of synth enthusiasts and synthwave lovers. Uh, I've definitely heard it um, redone and reevaluated and played in different versions in different ways on plenty of occasions, and I love it so, so much that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. I just love it so, so much. And as simplistic as it is, that, that's really what makes this movie for me. Simple ideas. Give it to me straight, baby. I mean, I love it. It was good. Loisas probably saw me laughing because I was, I was watching the rest of it and I was just sharing the screen in Whereby, which is what we use to, to record. And I, I just started laughing like insanely at the end of the movie when all of a sudden like Lucinda Dickey's character turns to Billy and she's like I love you and I just started <laughs> laughing so hard I'm like what the f like the, it's motivated by absolutely nothing literally the only weak spot in this movie is Billy Secord his character's terrible the performance is terrible it's written so so horribly and it's just I mean, literally, it's, <laughs> it, it shortchanges what is otherwise a very, very strong female character and a strong performance from Lucinda Dickey. Like it, like it just makes I her. I mean, maybe into... maybe death gets her horny neck. I mean, she watches a bad ninja get stabbed in the fucking head with a knife. I mean, and she turns possible. around and it's like time to make out, man. Let's do it's, this it's, thing. It's possible, but I mean, it it like I said, it's it just it it adds just one layer of of character inconsistency for her that the script doesn't need to add because it doesn't need it. But I mean, I guess this is just one of those things. You know, you're checking boxes on a list. No, we need to have a love interest. You've got to have some kind of love interest. Shove it in there however you want. And I don't mean that in any kind of sexual way, although. Ooh. Of course you don't. But, you know, like shove that character in there literally however you can, however you get these characters together. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's the most absurd and ridiculous thing ever. But, yeah, I loved this movie. This movie was fantastic. A welcome, and I mean a welcome breath of fresh air after the abysmal king solomon's minds last week that is still like the 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 blight i mean invaders from mars will always always have a soft spot in my heart for that scene of throwing the pool noodle intestines or whatever off from the side of the fucking screen but this one's i mean this one is free free ladies and gentlemen if you have amazon prime so if you have prime go over to prime watch this movie I mean, turn the brightness up on your TV or your monitor because some scenes in it are remarkably dark. Like, alternatively, crazy. if you have the extra cash, you can buy the Blu-ray. Or buy the, the Blu-ray collector's edition from Shout Factory for fifteen bucks on Amazon. Um, but worth this every penny. <laughs> but this movie is nothing compared to what we're going to be reviewing next time, and you'll just have to wait and see. But I'm supremely excited for what we're going to get into. Ooh, Barry in the lead. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that 
is going to do it for more hashtag canon quarantine that is also going to do it for another episode of the epic film guys podcast when you next hear from us it will be the weekend and we'll be leading into the week of the live stream for the cure ladies and gentlemen ten thousand dollars for the cancer research institute we are aiming for a future immune to cancer and we need your help we need your help to get there so please 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 come out support the event please you know whatever you can do you can chuck an early donation at us right now at livestreamforthecure.com shirts are still available the link is down in the show notes twelve dollars and fifty cents of every shirt that is sold goes toward the cure head down to the show notes again you can find the link down there as well as to our cafe press and Redbubble stores where we're also selling other merch like mouse pads mugs things like that with the logo uh thank you all so so much for listening thank you all so much for all of your amazing support and we do really really hope that you come out and support us for the event like i said it's going to be a crazy amazing amazing good time podcast you know podcast partners content creators literally from around the world from the uk australia new zealand canada united states russia like we've got tons and i mean tons and tons of different content creators everybody's coming in all for one singular purpose and that's to raise money for a future immune to cancer wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in i mean second would be to live in the world of ninja 3 the domination so we could you know go to jazzercise class with lucinda day i would live there i want to live in that flat i don't care if it's just a set boy sauce Go make a million dollars off something, a Ponzi scheme or something, and then build me that fucking set to live in. Neon lights, arcade game and all. You know that arcade game was actually a prototype game. I think it was called Bouncer that they used for the movie only, but it actually never went into production. So it's super rare because when I was watching that, I was like, well, that game looks familiar. But then I was totally wrong because you never saw that in an arcade. No, I want to. Unfortunately. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, Braveheart and Battlefielders. God help me. Both coming your way. And yeah, next Thursday is going to be a very, very special, very, very special installment. Uh, and then live stream for the cure. So, so much going on here from the Epic Film Guys. Go back if you haven't had a chance yet. I dropped a literal tidal wave of content over the last like four days as of recording day. Tons and tons of pre-roll, all of our fun wrestling talk. Loisos falls asleep a few times. It's glorious. So go check all that stuff out as well. Thank you so much, everybody out there, for listening. Thank you to our amazing, amazing patrons. We love you. Thank you so, so much for myself, for Justin, and for the beautiful God of Podcasting. Thank you so, so much, everybody out there, for listening. Until... Next time, we will see you at the movies.